You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hey, everybody. And... We've talked a lot about the stock market this year, probably more than we usually do, but it's more exciting to talk about when things are a little wonky and going all over the place. Um, yeah, unless you've been living under a rock, you're probably aware that most investments are down uh, year to date, which is normal. You know, it, it, the, the investments just don't go up on an escalator. They have ups and downs. It's more of a roller coaster ride. But today, we wanted to talk about some general tips for how to approach investing when the market is down, along with a few specific thoughts for for right now. Um, And as always, this is just general information and education. It's not advice for your specific situation. So make sure you're you're talking with your financial planner or reach out to us if you want to schedule a meeting. But but yeah, where do you want to start, Rochelle? Ooh, I think... The best advice <laughs> or the best educational <laughs> feedback is that one of the most important things that you want to keep in mind when the market is down is that it's not a good time to sell. So it, it may make sense for your specific situation, but if you are selling because the market is down, you are selling for the wrong reason. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people sometimes make is that the stock market goes down, people get scared. It's a scary feeling when you you look at your account and you have less money. Like let's say your account was 100000 and now it's 90000 You feel like you lost $10,000 and you didn't. Like not really. And we'll talk about that in just a second too. But the thing is, is that when you sell, when you're down $10,000, you have now locked in that loss. And now you have to decide when you're going to buy back in. And most people, when they do that, they buy back in when they feel more comfortable. A lot of times when they feel more comfortable, it is because the market has started to improve. So you've tricked yourself at that point into selling when something is low at a loss and buying when something is higher, which is exactly the opposite of what we want to do. That's not how you're going to make money long term. So unless you have a good reason to be selling out of your investments, it's probably not a great time to do that. Like we want to hold on to them. We want to stay invested when the market's down. And you also don't want to make any huge changes to your investments. So even, you know, if you sell out of mutual fund and you buy into another mutual fund that's inherently more conservative, that's kind of the same reason as selling out of an investment. Like you've kind of limited your upside potential when you're doing that. Um, And so it it makes sense to do that if your strategy has changed, if your time horizon has changed, like, oh, I thought this money was going to be invested for 15 years, but now I realize I'm actually going to need it in five years. Like that may be a good reason to, to change investments. But if nothing with your personal situation has changed, then it's very likely that it's not appropriate to, to change your investments dramatically when the market's down. Um, and it it's really hard because there's lots of headlines, but 
the investment markets and like the economy do not necessarily move side by side, step by step. Like there was lots of news about how the economy was going to be terrible in like 2009, but stocks were up like 27% in the US and then developed international stocks were up by 34%. Emerging market stocks were up by 79%. And it was the same thing in 2010. The economy is terrible. Unemployment's still high yada, 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 which is important, but doesn't necessarily mean the same thing for the stock market. The stock market that year was up 15 to 20%. So even as we're hearing headlines about, oh, maybe there's going to be a recession, maybe this, maybe that, it could be an increased volatility for the stock market, but we don't know that. Not really. So it's important to just make sure that if you have a long-term strategy, you are focusing on those long-term goals and not short-term conditions. Yeah. Totally agree. Avoid watching the news and uh, you know try and remove emotions from the equation. Greed and fear are very dangerous when they infiltrate your investment strategy. So really, we want to have uh, a well thought out, logical investment strategy when we're in a sound state of mind. So meditate, do some yoga, whatever you need to before you make your investment strategy, and then. You know, stick to it uh, when times get tough. But also, we really don't want to overweight to any one investment. Don't panic and abandon the sound strategy just because the road gets bumpy. So really focus on that process, not the outcomes. And the sports analogies are good ones. Just because you lose the game doesn't mean the game plan was a bad one. You just, you know, it wasn't your day. Um, but keep keep practicing. And, uh, you know, that, that process, the inputs are what you want to focus on, not the outputs. Because uh, you can't really control the outcomes. So um, talked about the news headlines a bit. Uh, the news headlines in the stock market are rarely in sync. If, if it was all uh, up to the news headlines, your accounts would be down every single year because they always seem to focus on the negative side of things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, stop checking the markets and your accounts on a daily basis if you're that type of person. It's not healthy for you. Go outside, go for a walk, go you know, make a meal watch cartoons, like just anything, read a book, be more beneficial for you than, than watching your accounts in the markets. You cannot control the stock market. You cannot control your account performance. Um, so you're just adding unnecessary stress into your life by, by fretting about those things. Um, and, and just because your accounts are down in value doesn't mean you've lost money. You haven't actually lost any money until you sell. Like you could argue the same thing about your home. You know, your, your home value will fluctuate by the minute, just like your portfolio value. The difference is you don't see a ticker symbol on Google at any given time of the day. Sure, you can check Zillow and Redfin, and those will update you know, pretty frequently, um, but it's not like you're going to panic and sell your home just because you see your home value is less than it was a month ago. Um, it's, you know, let's try to, try to view our investment portfolio the same as our house. We're, we're building equity over time, and this is here for the long run. Um, and, and really focus on those long-term goals and, and objectives and not so much the short-term outcomes, which you can't control. So, again, watching the news, uh, the financial news specifically, not healthy for you, or as Carl Richard calls them, the, the, the financial pornography networks. They just try and catch you with whatever attention-grabbing, clickbaity headlines they can to get you to tune in. And, and the negative stuff often gets more attention than the positive stuff. Uh, more eyeballs means that the news networks can charge advertisers more money. 
And that's what drives the news stories that they deliver to you. It's not what they find most interesting or what, what would be most informative or beneficial for the viewers. It's, it's strictly what's going to get the largest audience to tune in because that's going to increase our numbers. And then when we negotiate with our advertisers, we can charge them top dollar. So that's purely what it is. And usually the negative stuff, again, is going to drive more traffic then, oh, everything's hunky-dory, because if everything's hunky-dory, no one's going to watch the news. Yeah, I don't think anyone's watching for the human interest stories. Maybe some of us, but probably not. <laughs> okay, so I think that the next thing that we can think about doing when we're in kind of a crazy year like this year is maybe think about rebalancing your existing portfolios, which is different from what we were talking about before, where we like kind of change our portfolios dramatically because of market conditions. When we talk about rebalancing, it's really about um, paying attention to how different categories of investments and asset classes have performed differently over time or over that year. So let's say originally you wanted 40% in domestic stock and you wanted 30% in international stock and like, you know, and another portion in bonds. If international stock performs much worse than domestic stock, it may be that you end up in a situation where you have 45% domestic stock and you have 25% international stock, which is not what you intended originally. And obviously that doesn't add up to 100. There's other things in this portfolio. But anyway, <laughs> if that's the situation, if your goals haven't changed, it makes sense to try to rebalance once in a while to get back to what your original allocation was because that's the allocation that you decided on in order to get to this this portfolio mix that you thought was ideal for your situation. So if that was the situation, you basically sell the thing that has outperformed which would be domestic stock in that example, and you buy the thing that has underperformed, which would be the international stock, to get back to your predetermined mix. You already had a decision made. You're just getting back to that. You don't want to do this frequently. Like if you do it once a week, like you don't get to take advantage of any of the market momentum that happens. Like things kind of happen over time and you see these like strings of down, 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 or up, 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 up. And you want to participate in that to a certain extent, but you don't want to let it go forever because then your portfolio gets completely out of line with what your original intentions were over time. So it's a good way to kind of trick yourself into selling out of the assets that have performed well or better even if they've all performed poorly, some of them have performed better than others, and buying the things that have performed the least well, basically. Um, and it's okay to maybe give your portfolio like a slight tilt to one area over another or to make some slight adjustments. I think a good example this year is probably like emerging markets. Like there's a reason emerging markets have underperformed and it's because there's, you know, a lot of geopolitical things that are happening, lots of stuff that's going on in the world. And maybe it makes sense to have a little bit less in emerging markets when there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, but I think you could always make an argument for the opposite too. Like if emerging markets has really sold off dramatically and if you can buy at a really low point, why would you not stick with your original allocation? So even if we are making these like slight adjustments to our portfolio, they shouldn't be huge because a lot of times they're very counterproductive. Yeah, I agree. And that's what, getting back to that Zen state where you make your investment strategy. So like our little you know, behind the curtain here, like our investment team for all of our client accounts has an investment policy statement that they create that, that sort of dictates how those accounts should be invested, what percentage in stocks versus bonds, U.S. versus international, et cetera. And that's their 
their roadmap, if you will, for, for when and how to rebalance. If things get too far out of whack, that's when they'll sell the stuff that's done the best or the least bad in this year and and mm-hmm. reallocate to the stuff that's done the worst to try and maintain that long-term target allocation. And, and every six months, they review the, the IPS strategies, update them with the current conditions. So if it looks like, hey, international stocks are, look like a more attractive opportunity based on all the, the numerous metrics we look at, Let's maybe tilt a little bit more there. Not a ton. You know, it might just be a couple percentage points. You know, we're not going to go all in in any one category. But, you know, we, we make those slight strategic allocations. But we don't want to, again, you don't want to try and time the market and say this is where I think is going to be the best. You know, if you think it's going to be the best, great. But but only, you know, put a little bit extra there. Not everything. Don't put, don't go all in, um, to use a poker analogy. Now, if we have some extra money on the sidelines you know first off ask yourself why why do we have extra cash is there a reason for it are we saving up for a major purchase a home down payment um you know whatever uh, if so great you know, that's you know, keep it in your savings account that's the best place for it if you need it in the next year or so um, but if you don't need it in the next you know few years you don't have a a major short-term expense you're saving up for you just have more money coming in than going out. Good problem to have. Um, and it's just been accumulating in your savings. Well, now it's a good time to maybe take a look at that and say, hey, market's down. Is it, this could create an opportunity for us to invest and, and, and buy low, if you will, compared to a year ago. And, you know, in hopes that, that that money over the long run will work out for you. Also, you know, on the cash flow side, if, if it is a matter of just more money coming in than going out every month, you know, you might want to consider increasing the amount you're investing automatically. You know, Rochelle and I are big fans of automating the investment strategy as much as possible because then you don't have to think about it. You guys are busy enough with work and families and kids and hobbies and you know there's not enough hours in the day to do everything that that you need to or want to do so the more you can take off of your mental plate and just automate the the better so automate your bills automate your investments Um, maybe it's time to increase those automatic monthly deposits to your investment accounts uh, so that you don't have to every three to six months figure out what am i going to do with this extra cash but uh but yeah good time to invest um, if you have some extra money on the sidelines, and um, you know, we probably don't want to dig into our emergency reserves to invest just because the market's down. You know, we have that emergency reserve there for a reason, but it's it's purely if we have that extra cash that we don't need in the short term, we already have our our short term emergency fund, uh, and then some. You know, invest the and then some portion of it. Absolutely. I think the other thing that you can think about doing if you feel like you have extra cash flow, just double check your retirement plans at work. Make sure, you know, if you're not on track to max them out already, increase your contributions there. If you really want to be investing more and you feel like you just don't have extra money on the sidelines to be able to do that, look at your spending. Like, is there anything that you could cut out that you feel like would be worth it to cut out to be putting a little bit more in the market when it's kind of a, a good opportunity to do so because I think it could be a, a good time to potentially reevaluate that and think about it. Um, the other thing is that if you are sitting on extra money, that's something probably to pay attention to just in general because if you are doing that on a regular basis, it's inherently not very productive. 
And so, you know, maybe this is a time to kind of take take stock of that, get that extra monthly investing going like Corey was mentioning, automate it, and maybe it's a good time to do it now, but keep doing it. Like keep putting that money to work for you because it's going to be, you know, better off sitting in an account that can maybe earn some money over time rather than sitting in your savings account. If you do have money that you need to be sitting on for a short-term purchase, um, make sure it's in a, like a savings account or something like that that's at least getting a little bit of interest. So we've talked before about high interest savings accounts. Sometimes the yields are really low. Like during COVID, a lot of them were yielding maybe like 0.3% or 0.5%, which is something, but not a lot. Whereas now they're yielding like, you know, 3%, 3.5% just for having your money in the right savings account. And those are still very safe and secure places. Like obviously you want to make sure it's an FDIC insured bank, but it's a safe place to have your money. It's a bank account and you can still earn interest. So, you know, your emergency reserves, whatever extra, like whatever money that you need to have liquid and need to have safe, that's where it should be. Yeah, another one, tax loss harvesting. We've, we've talked about this before a couple times. Um, we've done a whole episode on it, so go ahead and listen to that. That dives more into the specifics on how you do it, what it is. But it, but in short, it's only applicable in your, your taxable investment accounts, which is your non-retirement accounts. So your, your 401k, 403b at work, your IRAs, those you know are, are tax sheltered vehicles. Those are the qualified retirement plans. Pretty much any other investment that you have, with a few exceptions, is subject to capital gains taxes every single year that you realize a gain in those accounts. Um, and and the, the short version of it is if you sell an investment for less than you bought it for, you know, a lower price than you paid, um, you can essentially save on taxes by doing that. Now, the key is to immediately reinvest the proceeds back into something similar to maintain your overall investment strategy that we developed when we were in that Zen state. Um, but you can't buy the exact same thing within 30 days, otherwise you lose the tax benefit. So losses offset gains dollar for dollar. If there's a net loss at the end of the year, uh, you can deduct up to 3000 a year off of your income for tax purposes. Any unused losses carry forward to the next year. Um, and again, the dollar for dollar offset is, is the main component here because um, that means you don't have to pay capital gains taxes on any investment earnings um, if you have losses to offset those earnings. So it can help save you on taxes along the way. And again, really important that you, you don't invest in the exact same thing because then the IRS says, well, you just did this to avoid taxes, so you got to wait at least 30 days to buy the same thing. That's why you want to uh, buy something similar but different. So like if you're selling your S&P 500 index fund, buy a Russell 1000 index or a total stock index. Um, you know, something that's similar, mostly large U.S. companies, but not the exact same thing. Definitely. Yeah, if you are interested in that, do a little more research before you do it. it you can mess it up. Don't do that. <laughs> and then just, you know, make sure you're keeping track of those losses and things like that. Um, just a few specifics for right now about kind of the environment that we're in. Like almost everything is down in 2022 year to date. The only things that are up are really like energy stocks and commodities. Thank you, inflation. So stocks, bonds, real estate's down, you name it. 
So if you are investing in a really broadly well-diversified portfolio, you are buying low compared to a year ago. You just, you are. So it could still go down more, but there's more potential for growth. Like there's less room to fall because it can only go down to zero. And from here to zero is less than from a year ago to zero. And, you know, it's pretty unlikely that that happens. If it does, we're, we're worried about finding that cave to live in, not necessarily the value of our portfolios. But there's a lot of room for growth from here. It can go up as, as high as you know, market conditions and economies and all that kind of stuff allow it to. Um, and I think this is another good lesson in being diversified. Like that helps a lot. A lot of people were probably overly invested in growth companies and tech stocks and things like that because they had performed so well over the last 10 years plus. But those stocks are down a lot more than the, the more like value-oriented stocks are year-to-date. So this year, growth stocks are down about 30% year-to-date. Um, and the value stocks are only down single digits. So again, like they haven't performed well, but they've held their value quite a bit better. And those value stocks are like, you know, the things that people need. It's like GE and Johnson & Johnson. It's like the, the older companies that have been around for quite a while. They're not necessarily interested in like growing and growing and growing, but they're around and they're solid. So instead of trying to chase returns and like picking investments based on, you know, what did the best over the last 10 years, blah, 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 like that's not always going to work out well. So don't do not do that. Just invest in a little bit of everything, be well diversified, and that's going to be your best strategy moving forward. Yeah, diving more into some specific classes, uh, real estate, REITs, they're down a ton this year as well, you know, close to the 30% mark, like gross stocks. Um, long term, you know, still a fan of real estate, you know, don't want it to be your entire portfolio, but it's a, a nice slice of the pie, um, to have in a well-diversified portfolio. Um, now for some people that, you know, are, are into investing directly in real estate rather than just owning it via a mutual fund or ETF or something. So I would be, you know, a little bit cautious there, um, with where interest rates are currently at, house prices are still pretty high um, due to just lack of supply, um, you know, I, I would be really hesitant to, to buying a single family rental right now. You know, it's probably going to be tough to turn a profit um, unless, you know, it's already, you know, uh, cash flowing and, and the price you'd pay, you know, with your, your current, the, the new payment that you'd be making on it is still a lot less than uh, what, what the rental income is. But, um, I think the short answer on on rental properties is only only invest in them or buy them if they're profitable, uh, which means more money is coming in than it's costing you to own. And those costs we've talked about before, but it's not just the mortgage payment; it's the taxes, it's the maintenance, the property manager. Things break from time to time. You gotta you know pay a house cleaner and a and a painter to come touch it up when when the tenants move out. There's vacancy rates, so you definitely want to create a buffer on those ones. Um, bonds, there's one. Bonds are actually paying interest again. So, you know, first time in, in, for many of you in your entire investing career that bonds are actually paying noticeable interest. So, you know, just looking back a couple of years ago, summer of 2020, the 10-year treasury yield was just over a half a percent. Today, it's about 3.7%. It was a little over 4% in the beginning of November. 
Um, so that's you know essentially uh, by by most benchmarks the the risk-free investment rate right there um, is the U.S. Treasury backed by the U.S. government. They can print money to to pay back their debt if they need to. So really unlikely that that you won't see your money back if you're buying U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, corporate bonds generally pay a couple one to two points higher than Treasury bonds. Right now the Moody's AAA corporate bond yield is 4.75 percent. So those are like the highest rated corporate bonds um, from the, the most stable companies. Obviously, if you go with with some some maybe not the biggest and strongest companies out there, you'll get a higher interest rate than that. Um, and high yield bonds, which are you know the the, the politically correct term for junk bonds. Uh, which are uh, not the strongest uh, companies that, that you're lending money to. Um, those are, are, are close to 9% right now interest. So you can you can get a little bit of interest on your bonds, um, which you know for a well diversified portfolio is beneficial. And especially if you're uh, you know older and approaching retirement or even in retirement, you know typically you're going to have a larger percentage of your portfolio in bonds. So long term. The interest from the bonds is what generates the bulk of, of the return from those bonds. So having higher interest rates is really beneficial for long-term investors that have bonds in their portfolio because you know any bonds you buy now will continue paying that interest as long as you own them until they mature. Um, you know The only risk is if, if the uh, issuer goes bankrupt and can't pay back their debt. But... Um, but yeah, you know, if interest rates stay elevated from where they were previously, historically, we're still kind of relatively low um, from an interest rate standpoint. But you know, compared to the last decade, we're, we're up a bit. So if interest rates stay, you know, around here or even rise a little higher, this will really be beneficial in our opinion for investors that have bonds in their portfolio because they're just going to be receiving more interest from their bond positions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which is really helpful, especially when you're getting closer to retirement age or when you are retired. Like that's that can be huge. Um, we already talked a little bit about savings accounts, but again, that yield is a lot higher too because interest rates are higher. It might keep going up too. Like that's the other thing about the high interest savings accounts is those yields are variable. So as rates go up, yields on the, the savings accounts are going up too. The other thing, other asset that's kind of I don't know if this is really even an asset, but cryptocurrency has been in the news a lot lately. We can't give specific advice on cryptocurrency. I mean, we can't give specific advice in this podcast at all, but <laughs> I think as always, like proceed cautiously. Like it's wildly unpredictable as far as like an asset class grows or like a type of investment goes. It's like trading volumes are way down this year, which means, or at least right now they are, which means it seems like people are starting to lose interest. Like there's just not as much buying and selling going on. It, it seems apparently less attractive to investors. Um, and maybe there's something to the technology, but it's very different from the stock market. Like when you're investing in the stock market, you're buying a share of a company that's providing goods or services generally. And and those goods or services are, are purchased by a consumer. Like there's, there's this direct benefit that someone is receiving from those companies' products. So like that's very different from cryptocurrency. There's this technology that backs it up, but it's it's not the same as stocks. Like we can't we can't think of it in the same way. So it's it's really hard to to know like what that might look like long term. So proceed cautiously, you know, you can do your own research on that and kind of figure it out. But 
definitely I think more information is better when you're making decisions about those kinds of things. Yeah, with stocks and REITs, you're investing in businesses, like you said, that are delivering goods and services to consumers. Those businesses have revenues and you can calculate what the revenues are. You can project them into the future. Hard to predict what the future will be, but at least you have something to go off of and you can assess a value based on what those cash flows are. Um, where, you know, if you're if you're buying anything that doesn't have cash flow, if you're just buying it hoping someone else will want to pay more for it in the future, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a bit of a gamble. Um, so feel free to invest in it. Just keep it, you know, treat it like the Vegas money and uh, you risk what you're <laughs> yeah. willing to lose. Absolutely. Well, I guess yeah, I think from we... here, or go ahead, Rochelle. No, I was just going to say we, we come back to the same themes very frequently. <laughs> but in general, I think it's really important to, to stick with your long-term goals. Just do everything you can to be working towards those and focus on the things that you can control, not the things that you can't. Uh, and just try to avoid making irrational decisions. Um, if you do have extra money, put it to work for you, whether it's now or later. If you have extra money, it should be working for you. It should be doing something for you. Unless, you know, it's something you need, like then in that case, it's not really extra. So keep that someplace safe, like a high interest savings account, and just kind of align what your goals are with where your money's at. And I think that, that that's the best way to go about it. Focus on the process, not the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening as always. Talk to you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.